Welcome to the Logos of Experience and Truth podcast, where I unlock the mysteries of the beatific vision of God. This is the ancient yet ever-present path of discovering your inner freedom and unlimited potential to achieve your goals now. Check the episode description for a link to the podcast page at logosofexperienceandtruth.com where you can navigate this episode with time-stamped show notes. Let us begin. This will be the final episode of this deep dive into many different aspects of the mysteries of Christ, and yet, still in my mind, it's just an introduction. There are reasons for this, especially if you're a beginner in the search for truth and wisdom from the mysteries of this the mystic walking upon the narrow path of the Christ. So many of the things I've spoken about are deep dives into many of these metaphysical and highly interesting questions. There are many other topics I've only brushed upon in relation to the first mystical experience I described as the ascension to the temple of the Father. The specific reason for this is I didn't want to explain everything learned and gained from this experience since it did occur 17 years after the very first awakening experience and my plan is to unfold how much of a noob I was in regards to these mysteries at the onset of that experience, and how knowledge of everything that had occurred was given and or fulfilled in the ascension to the temple experience, and then brought to further depth and fruition over the next few months until my next set of mystical experiences. Speaking about all of this in this manner is bringing up what I want to talk about in this final episode, since I've had several days now to think about it. I think this episode will feel and sound much different than the previous ones, and even as I outline and picture myself speaking inside of my mind, it seems a weird way to end these series of talks, but then in another way, perhaps it won't be. So I had an incredibly lively, rich, and energetic ping-pong back-and-forth conversation with my wife regarding the previous episode. While I was in the maybe, I don't know, second draft stage of outlining it and had simply struck up a conversation with her if she knew about Pascal's wager or not. She said she'd never heard of it and then I spoke about it in relation to the search for the true self and that the true self is what is made in the image of Christ and basically everything I spoke about in the previous episode, though since it was still in the second draft stage and was kind of like the journal entry I read you and was pretty much still raw in my mind and not as filtered or thought out prior to when I stepped to the mic and start talking. So when I say energetic conversation, that's obviously a nice way of saying borderline argument, or at least that's what I kept asking myself if this was an argument or not. But really, she was just deeply questioning what I was talking about and deeply imagining herself listening to my podcast and what she would have thought to herself had she heard some of the things I had just said to you. Now, this is somewhat unfair on both her part and my part as well, since she hasn't listened to any of these podcasts since they're not complete yet. So where you, dear listener, may have heard me speak for over six hours and built up the concept of the true self, ingrained with my logic, and dipped within the mysteries, and most importantly, have heard me with as much compassion address that I understand how hard it is to see some of these truths, at least if one is suffering or in a state of suffering, and that the words and ideas may not be words or ideas one is ready to hear. I'm pretty sure I juxtaposed this with the parable of the sower and the seeds, that the seeds have to land on good soil or they get eaten by birds or choked by thorns. 
If there's an underlying purpose of my speaking of these mysteries, it's to help others understand how to make their mind fertile soil for those seeds of truth from the Christ to take root. Since as I'm stating clearly throughout, there is a process of this, the dying to oneself in order to be spiritually reborn in Christ. That's literally the purpose of meditation and contemplation and the various spiritual exercises. Sure, on the surface, it's to feel temporarily good, temporarily to clear one's mind, for instance, if one's mind is overwhelmed, but the goal of it is to enact lasting change. Like I said, in regards to the Lenten season, when it finally got me to actually change instead of only change from between Ash Wednesday until Easter. There'd been a decade of Lent's between that with only the temporary change, when the seeds had fallen on dry soil and the birds either swallowed them up or they were choked by the thorns. So it's not like I don't understand where she was coming from or what she was trying to express regarding how she felt hearing what I was talking about. So I would try to explain and expand on this since in my mind I'm brainstorming these types of things and writing these things out and speaking them into a microphone, uploading them, podcasting them for a target market. Just like any business would try to define their target market. But even though what I speak about is very specific to the mystical understandings of the mysteries of Christ, it also revolves around Catholicism, Christianity, along with many other orbiting topics like history, science, theology, philosophy, etc. I'm aware that more than just my target market would potentially be interested in what I have to speak about. But she spoke about her own target market, her own idea of a specific person wanting to listen to what I have to say for whatever reason they may have. And being either upset or frustrated or giving up before even starting is the only way I could see it due to specific and yet obvious facts regarding everything I've spoken about, many of which I've already mentioned, but will still be worth mentioning further, I think, because what she said struck me to my core, of course, and she's my wife. As a devout Catholic, as well as having earned a master's degree in medical science, she understood everything I spoke about regarding the neurological topics I've discussed along with the philosophical and theological conclusions I've come to and have been speaking about with you, dear listeners, along with how she'd probably word it, the weird and bizarre things I speak about that seem to sound almost biblical and have caught her off guard on a couple of occasions. Though I speak to her about these things, and even though her jaw dropped when I showed her the depth of the symbol for this, the mystical experience, which honestly I've shared only the crust of the pizza so far with you listeners, She's still sort of on edge regarding that which I speak about, since she isn't sure what it means. I don't know what further purposes God has to all of this either. I just know what I've seen and understood, and that I'm supposed to talk about it and not just ponder it to myself any further or solely rely on writing it down, which was, as I've kind of stated, my modus operandi for over a decade. So she understood the comparison that finding your true self is also finding God. And it agitated her because in her mind, picturing both herself now, working 12-hour shifts in an understaffed urgent care that continues to fail to provide PPE gear during this pandemic, along with homeschooling two children under six years old, as well as picturing herself long ago as a single mother rushing to drop off her daughter at school in the morning, commuting to work, then desperate to get through traffic to pick up her daughter before the after-school daycare starts adding dollars to every minute past 6 p.m., with their weird entire business model almost revolving around how much money they can suck out of a parent with that daily roulette of how Southern California traffic will destroy a single parent on this day or that. So in her mind, her question was, how on earth is somebody that is barely able to survive their day, swamped in the hustle and bustle, the daily grind of work and life, 
How is somebody in this state of life even able to ask themselves or question within their hearts regarding their true self? How on earth is somebody like this supposed to find God if their true self is what is made in the image of God? A very deep question, comment, remark, in my opinion, and one that caught me off guard to be honest since, again, I have the person in my mind I'm speaking to while she had her idea of herself along with other swamped individuals in mind as people listening to these strange and bizarre yet always logical words that I speak. So I will dive into this a bit since her comments have still had me pondering how I would answer this. I'll be honest at the onset that I don't think I have an answer for you. Or at least I can't provide a satisfactory end-all, do this and you'll be good answer because such things don't exist unless you're a robot that receives commands and executes immediately every single command that you're given. Since there are no humans on earth today, have existed throughout all past time and never in the future will be like this, I can't tell anybody what to do in order to clear a path to find God in their own mind and heart and soul. Nobody can. God himself and Jesus couldn't. He simply left the seeds so that those that wanted to plant them could plant them in their own hearts. I can only speak on the things I had to do and think which I've done over these 10 episodes and will continuously do, especially in the next series of podcasts, since in those, I will deep dive into all of the failures I had to crawl my way through while traversing through the desert of the soul. I told myself a million times over a million days in a million ways I needed to do this or that and it never occurred or would occur for that Lenten amount of time or for you secular minded persons like how almost all New Year's resolutions fail within four to six weeks, right about the same length of time for Lent, which is kind of bringing a smile to my face again, the secular and the religious wading through the muck of the world in their mind together, whether they both deny the similarities of the other or not. The former, of course, more so in the last several centuries. But I will still try to give my spiel, though, since that's what I do in regards to why and or how. First, let's start off with the biblical passage, the gospel narrative that illustrates this entire issue, or at least what's at the core of it perfectly. Those that do versus those that think. Or the human being or doer versus the human thinking or thinker. I'm sure you can guess which category I fall into, along with which one she falls into. And in general, some of this has to do with the mystery of the duplicity of the male and the female and the various mystical and mythological meanings behind it. The way I'll briefly mention it is how I like to think about meeting and marrying my wife. That had I not, I probably would have floated away into space due to how much of a thinking, meditative, contemplative that I am and how much in need of grounding on earth in life that I felt I needed in order to balance myself out. Something I was actually conscious of back then in my early 20s, the need to ground and balance myself out, and that I would understand these mysteries in a greater depth if I actually lived a bit instead of only continuing to contemplate. There's somewhat of a hidden meaning in there I know, but those that know should know what I mean, just as those that want to know should think of this along with many of the concepts, especially surrounding duality, that I've already brushed upon. I'll give you two readings to read and ponder upon in relation to what I've just spoken to help deepen your understanding or engage your mind to seek to understand. The well-known Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 4, but perhaps the lesser known but still referring to essentially the same thing, sayings 22 and 29 in the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas. 
the gospel narrative we'll discuss here is the one involving Martha and Mary found in Luke 10, 38-42. They're also in the Lazarus story in the Gospel of John, but the one that concerns us right now is the one in Luke. Now, it's been a while since I read anything biblical, so let me read it real quick. As they continued their journey, he entered a village where a woman whose name was Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat beside the Lord at his feet, listening to him speak. Martha, burdened with much serving, came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me by myself to do the serving? Tell her to help me. The Lord said to her in reply, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. It seems like a pretty cut-and-dry gospel account, along with the general idea behind the words Jesus gives to Martha. The general interpretation is that one should listen to Jesus instead of worrying about this or that. But can we look into this in any deeper manner? Is there anything deeper than this? Since when I mentioned it, my wife understood this exact interpretation of the gospel as well. One thing that's interesting of note to my mind is that even though Mary is the one supposedly listening to the master, Jesus, speak, Martha is the one that actually talks to him and gets a response. So there's a somewhat interesting parallel to the life of prayer, which is the other way this has been interpreted that I read long ago somewhere, probably in some mystical text, that Mary represents the contemplative person and Martha is the active religious believer. One the human thinking, the other the human being. Kind of interesting then that both steps and paths are found in one little story, but the reaction from Jesus is still one way for one person and another way for another. Though Mary is said to listen, Jesus doesn't say anything to her, so contemplative prayer or silent meditation, whereas Martha asks a question and receives an answer or meditative mental verbal prayer. What's also interesting is if you've understood this unconscious, intuitive voice of conscious within that will respond to your inner inquiry, it doesn't mean that you hear what that inner voice says, just as this gospel account shows when it ends without a response from Martha. Did she sit down and listen as well? Did she continue going about her business, serving them all, but with the lesson of doing her work of serving without being anxious or worrisome? which is the other lesson Jesus is trying to give in the gospel, we don't actually know Martha's response. But if you look within your own mind, what have your responses been to yourself when you've asked yourself a question, when you've posed a question within your mind? Have you heard the response, followed it, or ignored it? Or did the words enter into good soil, or were they eaten by the crows or choked by the thorns? So let's state an obvious truth and reality which I expressed to my wife and she understood but still said that she'd like to learn more about these types of things if she had the time. I said prior that I've spent thousands and thousands of hours studying and meditating on these things with thousands of journal entries written about these experiences with the mysteries over nearly 20 years and I'm not even 40. But neither am I a monk or a religious person that's been doing this for 50 years. So who knows the specified knowledge that they may have, just like how some awesome professors in school can teach without a lesson plan, but teach from memory since they've been doing it for so long. Yes, the only thing that differentiates me from an entirely studious person is I'm claiming to have had not only the mystical experience, but to have understood it. And therein lies the basis for the study that I have done, seeking the understanding of the experience itself 
and not so much any prophecy seen as in the times of old, but the experience itself. All I mean to say by this is that because there are persons that never study these types of things, but that still have the same types of questions within themselves, nonetheless, those that still ponder in the depths of their minds and hearts during the never-ending hustle and bustle of life, it's because there's persons like this, those that are more doers, that people like me exist, those that sit and contemplate and are more thinkers. The only thing different is that because I have my head in the clouds, it means that I've trained myself while in the hustle and bustle of work and life to find ways to still meditate and contemplate. While doing yard work, I'm contemplating. While I'm doing the dishes and cleaning the cat litter boxes, I'm still contemplating on the mysteries for some reason. Instead of counting reps at the gym, I found that each set of 10 reps in the typical workout routine was the same as the 10 Hail Marys in a decade of the prayer. So instead of counting a number, I'd say a Hail Mary in my mind. I would easily pray the rosary while working out back when I used to pray the rosary regularly. For some reason, the universe creates this type of weird balance. So someone listening to this podcast wondering how on earth they can find their true self if they understood the episodes on the self and the logical conclusions I reached regarding it, which I'm sharing in the hopes of helping others, such a person needs to understand that simply reaching those conclusions, simply being able to put it into my wife's mind in a two-minute conversation, this idea of the true self as being synonymous with finding the Christ, and that finding one is finding the other, and her being able to understand this completely within that almost instant amount of time was something that took me 18 years to come to and understand for my own self. I didn't just snap my fingers and suddenly understand everything that I've spoken about. And even if I read it in some book somewhere 15 years ago, if some other saint said something about this or that prior, if I heard any of the elements of what I've spoken about somewhere at some point, if my mind at the time wasn't fertile ground, then the seeds would have been swallowed up. It took me the entirety of the time since the awakening experience of reading, journal writing, meditating, and contemplating, along with a third of my life working in sales and learning how to explain something to someone in multiple ways due to the multiplicity of possible personalities and personality types, along with draft after draft of the completed work Lucifer revealed and my in-progress work, The Beatific Vision of God. In-progress meaning when I sit down next to it, I will be on my fourth draft coupled alongside what I consider my first and second drafts of podcast recordings that I made over the past two years over two different month-long sessions equaling 165 total recordings and 150 hours of time in order to refine how I speak and how I present this material along with prayer after prayer and day after day of further meditating and contemplating just to be able to explain the many things I've explained in a condensed six and a half hours now and again, what I delivered to my wife in two to three minutes the other day, which instantly sparked in her imagination exactly what talking about and listening to these types of things are meant to do. Ignite your yearning for questing, your desire to seek, or if you seek, do not stop seeking until you find, as Jesus says. And if I've already done this hard, massive work, getting this far into understanding for my own benefit, which by finally sharing it can potentially become your benefit, if your mind is fertile soil, then why should one be anxious about not having trudged through the muck of the universe in the mind if another has already laid down those breadcrumbs helping to make the path more easily discernible? In essence, the two-minute conversation hit my wife to her core since she understood exactly what I was talking about and it sprung her to action on that day. And who knows, 
can potentially spring her further into action to discover more deeply who and what she is. Martha being told to not be anxious and to not be worrisome, but to concern herself with the most important thing, an idea rooted in the first commandment. Just as for me, Mary in this case, I return to the foot of the master in order to contemplate how to better respond to this scenario and questioning. Not for my benefit, but for her and you, dear listener. There are persons like me that have spent 20 years contemplating these mysteries due to personal mystical experience and the search for truth. I am now trying to present them in a few podcasts, a few hours of podcasting, and sharing and giving all the conclusions I've reached over 20 years, essentially saving you the time it took me to dive into these concepts and presenting them to you now, quickly, and within that time frame and reality of the hustle and bustle. Now, this doesn't prevent one from ignoring everything I'm saying and diving in and studying the mysteries utterly in depth over the next 20 years in much the exact same manner that I did, ignoring most of the writings and commentary I came across since deep down, I felt I needed to. I needed to question and understand more deeply than just accepting what was written in any book of spiritual writing, going as far and as deep as questioning the Bible and faith itself, Christ himself. Now, I think I'm somewhat of a masochist, though, or at least I've had to train myself to endure failure after failure as I've sought to understand these mysteries, since there were probably many shortcuts I could have taken had I seen them, had I not been dipped in my addictions and distractions. So if that's not your personality, then my words may make sense without any lengthy, drawn-out study and meditating, but may come nice and quick for you. Or for me, the seeds seeking good soil had to travel through a mind of molasses and took forever to find a fertile soil and achieve its goal due to my own stubbornness. What a person listening, what you, dear listener, do with the knowledge of the mysteries I'm providing here is entirely up to each individual, just as it's been entirely up to me to pursue the rabbit down the rabbit hole once I realized there was a rabbit and a hole, and then saw the rabbit and the hole. The other metaphor I like is the coyote and the roadrunner. These truths of the mysteries and the beatific vision of God are like the roadrunner, and I have been the coyote chasing. And every time I felt like I was near, right, meep, meep, adios, boom, and gone in a flash. Until I finally got the roadrunner, that is. At any point, I could have stopped. And in fact, at several points, stopped since I was utterly frustrated and looked away, ran away, and like Jonah, fled the calling that I heard deep in the recesses of my heart. But I was always led back to it, no matter how many hours I drowned myself in video gaming. So to you, dear listener or to one that may not find recourse in any of the words I've said, since how on earth could you possibly find the time to think or contemplate on these things in order to find your true self, in order to find God? You've already made your decision, and there's nothing I can tell you otherwise. There's a reason why the first commandment is the first commandment. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Until you do so, No matter if it's finding God, planting a garden, fixing the fence, learning an instrument, losing weight, reading that unread book that's been on your shelf for a decade, it simply doesn't happen. And if you can see the wisdom in these words, you will know and understand that the first commandment can be applied to anything you wish to accomplish. I will speak far more in depth regarding this, for there is a reason the prophets of old said, find God first, and then all else is yours as well and it's wrapped within the knowledge, mystery, and fulfillment of the first and greatest commandment. And just as the parables state, which I'm sure I've also said here and there, this can happen overnight, where Jesus warns to be alert, for you know not when the master will arrive, 
and you don't want to be found asleep or unprepared. But this can also happen over 20, 40 years if we see the length of time of Moses in the desert as representing this finding of his true self as a liberator of his people in Egypt. And then, if you forget about the idea, what difference does it make anyways? But if it stays in your mind, this idea of finding the true inner self, and that in finding this true inner self, the Logos, the Christ, God, is also found. Even if you can't find how to do this now in the present moment, due to the hustle and bustle of work and life all around you, perhaps eventually you will. Because ideas, just like seeds, hint, hint, if it isn't apparent yet what the seeds in the Gospels represent, that's what the parable of the sower is really about. The idea of the kingdom of heaven being taught to others and that it needs good and fertile soil in order to grow and not be eaten by the birds or choked by the thorns. Now think of all the things that can destroy an idea that you came up with. Not one forced upon you as is increasingly the case in today's connected world, especially in America, but think of all the things that keep a seed or an idea from entering your thoughts and growing in your mind. The birds, of course, are all those around you and the voices you keep within you of those around you that eat the idea instantly before it's taken root. Let's say you want to try out for football. You're too short, too tall, too thin, too slow, it's dangerous, it's barbaric, etc., etc. And the idea of hope, change, freedom to try something is annihilated in the hearts of most people when this happens, when the birds peck at each other in order to eat the seeds in your mind and heart. And if it does take root and grows, then what are the thorns? If the birds eating the seeds represent the external, then the thorns are those things that grow with the seed from within as the various parables about wheat and weeds speak of. So everything you do to yourself in your mind to destroy the seed that's taken root, self-doubt, fear, lack of motivation or self-esteem, addictions, other things more important than that which you tell yourself you truly want to do, but instead do something else. Or sin, as St. Paul described. And yet if one season the sower tries and fertile soil isn't found and it doesn't produce what is intended or hoped for, it doesn't mean that in the next season the sower won't try again. In fact, it's the opposite if you consider again the good shepherd parable. The shepherd will leave the 99 to find the one missing. And so too does God continuously throw seeds into your mind and heart and soul, hoping that they will take root and grow. But if it doesn't occur today, if it didn't yesterday, it doesn't mean that the hope for it occurring tomorrow is lessened. It only enhances it. And yes, there is that pruning, that tossing into the fire of the wheat or ideas that are useless, as the Baptist states, all of which is the desert of the soul process. But this is why the Bible constantly says to return to God, to find God first. For God is the Alpha and the Omega. And if you find this true self, find God within, it's like doing a fresh install of Windows on your computer is what happens in your mind. You're still the same, but cleaned out, focused, and knowledge of how sacred ground your mind truly is and how there are those in the world that utterly seek to pollute it for whatever reason with their ideas and agendas, their poisonous seeds seeking to take root in the Garden of Eden in your mind, hint, hint, just as there are those that seek to cleanse and restore and renew it the sacrament of baptism, and the constant renewal of it through reconciliation, confession. Just going to Mass does it and is literally what those sacraments are for. Literally the role of the priest in the church. So long as you let the idea of it, of the mission of Christ and his church, 
take root in your mind by belief and faith and the work needed to clear out all that would stand in the way of those seeds of God taking root in your mind and heart and soul. Perhaps now is one of those moments when the shepherd is calling. Perhaps now is one of those moments the sower is tossing seeds hoping for fertile ground. And if we follow some of the things I've spoken of, if you are listening to this podcast, these words, here, right now, on this day, in this week, during this month, in this year, in this decade, within this generation, in this century, in this millennia, on this planet, in this galaxy, on this continent, in this state, in this city, in this house or vehicle, in this room, right here, right now. Unless, for some reason, you still believe in randomness and thus a random galaxy, universe, sun, planet, continent, state, city, town, house, room, chair, that your randomly sprouted body, legs, behind, are randomly sitting on this chair with all of the randomness of thought and sound, randomly creating the random meanings of the random syllables of words that were randomly scripted and randomly imagined in the random minds of random thoughts that you're randomly using to randomly listen to this random podcast on this random station, on your random device, in your random headphones or speakers, all of which are random as well. Do I need to continue any further? Why else would you be here, right here, right now, listening to these words of a weirdo mystic claiming to have experienced the beatific vision of God and is making the case for why he believes he has had the beatific vision of God, along with having been compelled by a force greater than himself to finally share these experiences of the mysteries with others. Why else would you be listening to me unless the possibility of the master's seeds finding fertile soil in your mind and heart and soul was not already present within you. There are about a million other things you could have been doing right now, just as there are billions of other things you could have been looking at and or media consuming on your phone, in your social media, the billions of silly videos you could have been watching endlessly on YouTube and commenting on in the dozens of social media outlets that vie for the ability to launch their hooks into your mind. Ask yourself, dear listener, or if you're reading the transcript for this podcast instead of listening to it, ask yourself, why are you listening to this podcast? Why have you listened all the way to the 10th episode? You are the only thing standing in the way of Christ entering into your mind and heart and soul now. Are you ready to plant the seeds that the sower is trying to sow? Has your mind already perhaps entered into becoming the fertile ground necessary for God to become the king in your mind, heart, and soul from a combination of listening to my meager words along with whatever else you've experienced in life? Only you, dear listener, know the answer to that question. But if you're not ready today, doesn't mean you won't be tomorrow. And if you still need further convincing, don't worry, I've got plenty more episodes to record. Remember, I have 20 years of journal writing about my experience with the mysteries and a database with millions of words in it. So if you need further convincing, further convincing there will be. This is that need for being alert and awake and waiting for the master to arrive, for you know not the hour. Like I said, 
I had a mini revival in 2008-2009. God knocking at my door once more. And I was even trying to chit-chat a bit with God, trying to coax God into giving me the blessings of heaven, the promises now. But since I wasn't willing to fully give myself over at the time, all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, the seed the sower had planted was suffocated by the thorns of all else that was in my mind at the time. So I do understand that my words may not be pleasing to hear, especially if you, dear listener, may feel like you haven't got an extra ounce of mental energy or strength to dive into this pursuit of the indwelling Christ. And if you don't watch an ounce of television, not a single movie, spend zero time on social media, don't read fiction novels, don't waste your time doing other things because what you do do is so time-consuming that it takes all of your time, then your point is quite valid. One existing as this probably has no time in the external, and simply can't carve out the mental activity or time in the mind, or are simply incapable of it. But ask yourself, does that description describe you? And let's be honest. I know you're not going to like me saying it, but let's be honest. If all we did was trade the amount of time we spend complaining about not having any time, whether verbally to others or mentally to ourselves in our own mind, we would instantly free up time to do that which we are complaining about not being able to do, even if all you start with is five minutes a day. I'll give you an example, another of these things that ties into the desire and discipline of being a writer that can maybe help at least show you some of the mental blocks, those choking thorns I had that required annihilation. Unfortunately, early on in the days when I began writing, I'd read some commentary from professional writers about how much they write in a given day, how utterly disciplined they are, how they write straight for 5 to 10 hours in a day, and for some reason, I intoned that I had to do and achieve the same in order to be a successful writer. I can't tell you how many years I fought and struggled with this. Every night I'd come home from work, tell myself I have 3 to 5 hours every night to write, that I have to do it like this and can only write during this block of time since I knew I needed the blocks of time in order to achieve the writing. Then I'd sit down and instantly start doing something else. My greatest addiction was video gaming since it can become such a massive time consumer because it's oh so much easier to do than typing out words and thinking for oneself. The benefit of it though, for the mystic at least, once the knowledge is understood, is the instant similarity of the video game world to the illusion of reality, the maya, created in the mind itself. So the world already is somewhat of an illusion in the mind, and then an entire other illusion, a real illusion, is being placed within the first, so you get this kind of illusion within an illusion effect going on, especially if one really vanishes within the game world. And this is no different than everything else people lose themselves in technology-wise these days. Portals into the nexus beehives of illusion. So I found these little nuggets of the positive from it, transmuting that which had been my greatest enemy, well, into at least my not greatest enemy. So this idea of the successful writer became rooted as an internalized belief by, just like the parable the sower says, finding fertile soil and becoming a massive tree in my mind, governing many aspects of my personality my well-being, confidence, and especially my ideas regarding writing and the writer's path. Because I simply couldn't do it. I was too tired at night from my two hours of commuting back and forth in Southern California traffic, along with sales work, which required dealing with each and every different personality type day in and day out with both the internal customers or employees, as well as the external customers or the clients. Because I couldn't do the writing in the way I believed was the manner in which it had to be done in order to succeed, 
I failed and failed miserably over and over again, day after day, filled with what's called the writer's guilt, endlessly languishing in my mind during the times I wasn't contemplating the weird spiritual oddities I do over how much of a failure I was at not doing that which I wanted to do because I couldn't do it the way I thought and had come to believe I had to in order to succeed. So naturally, what is it that destroyed this? Doing and believing in the complete opposite. Five minutes a day, then 10, then 20. Write down my dreams at least, then comment to myself about my dreams, researching traditional ways of seeing such things and meditating on it on my own. I hated writing on my phone and had still kept the physical journal in my hands over the years and literally wasn't until a couple years ago when I finally forced myself to get comfortable with writing on the phone. Five minutes. I started letting my kids into my man cave studio workspace where I write and shattered the idea that had also taken root of needing privacy or quiet and silence in order to get it done. It doesn't exist in my reality, so I kicked that idea to the curb. Kids yelling, screaming, playing, stopping to play with them, stopping for potty breaks, making breakfast, lunch, and dinner the days I take caring them, stopping for this, stopping for that. I only wrote one sentence while sitting on the toilet? No problem. I wrote that one sentence while sitting on the toilet. And in a year, I'd have 365 of them. And this preconditioned belief I somehow unfortunately received early on was shattered in my mind. And I began to believe in something new. I could write and achieve what I wanted to write wherever I wanted to write for as little or as much time as possible with as many stops and breaks and beloved distractions from daughters that were not really distractions but just reminders of the life that was around me. Again, keeping me from floating away into space. I could write on the toilet, I could write on the couch, in a parking lot. Then when I realized I could write verbally with the microphone into my phone, and actually remembered I'd done this 10 years prior with the handheld tape recorder, and that for some reason I still didn't realize why I'd stopped that, well then, the practicing of speaking my journal entries that would later become podcasts without my even knowing it was born. But that is my journey. I don't know what your journey is. I don't know how destructive a voice you have in your mind from your upbringing. I don't know what you want to achieve and what you're willing to sacrifice in order to receive it. I was playing video games for two to three hours a day. It was my escape, my release. And yet, once I began questioning it, realized and felt how it almost felt like work playing all those games. And when it started to feel more like a job than a pastime, considering how much time I was doing it, along with the culture of it, how much time I was researching new games and talking about them with others. All the while, that small voice within, speaking and questioning the mysteries, quietly waited, was gently working to help me understand and transmute those long years, the ironing out of the gold within. I said I'd get into addiction more. That was one of them, one of my addictions. I'll tell you when I took this addiction up when we discussed the awakening experience and the aftermath of the expansion of the mind since this actually ended a previous addiction. And though at the time was the lesser of two evils, sweet Jesus, I'm still not sure if it wouldn't have been better for me to keep smoking weed, since you smoke it and you're done, but the games never end. But once you eliminate one addiction, one time sink, one activity that deep down you know you would rather do something else than this, but you don't because it's easier to not do it and deal with the guilt. But once you do, the snowball simply grows and you start finding and eradicating all the weeds in your mind keeping you from your goal. For instance, you realize, what the hell do I need to watch all this television for? If none of these movies interest me, why watch them just to kill the time? And the list goes on and on. And then, which is where I'm at sort of right now, if I can kind of give you a taste of where I'm at right now, 
the parable that always angered me, always challenged me, because how on earth could it possibly be possible when Jesus says that you need to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? And this single parable drove me mad, would anger and infuriate me. I'd yell all manner of blasphemies in my mind at God while praying or meditating about how is this even possible when I'm just a mortal maggot begging forgiveness over the dirt I've done in this life? And how on earth is such a thing even possible to be perfect as God is perfect? And what kind of crazed master is this Jesus to have said such a preposterous thing? Of course, he could say it. He's Jesus, the son of God, the not prodigal son that threw everything away and wound up in the pig pen with the pigs. But the freaking goody two-shoes teacher's pet, first lord and deity of all, who, you know, had roses bloom from his farts and funny things like that, if you've ever read some of the ancient questioning that various writers pondered like this. Whether as a joke or serious, I'm actually not sure. Not that they said Jesus farted roses, though. I think I just said that. Now, please don't misinterpret me. I'm not saying I'm perfect, since in no way do I even think that I am. I yell at my daughters too much, even after a hundred hours of parenting audiobooks that I listen to one after another trying to saturate my mind. I still find it hard due to the first third of my life being bombarded by my own yelling and screaming gritona parent. I do a lot around the house, but never enough, and though most men would pretty much scoff at it, deep down I still try to find ways to do more around the house so my wife doesn't feel like being home is a daily climb up Mount Everest. What I'm getting at is that the perfection that Jesus is referring to has nothing to do with the day-to-day types of things. Maybe he never told a lie like our founding father, but our founding father most certainly murdered many a British soldier during the Revolutionary War, so bam, maybe not a liar, but definitely not perfect in that sense. Then what is the perfect that Jesus is referring to? Again, it drove me mad every time I heard this one in church, or when I drove the nail further into my brain by rereading it and recontemplating on it, wondering if there was something deeper, some deeper understanding to this versus what I thought and saw as perfect, versus what Jesus maybe meant regarding perfection. And we've actually already spoken about it, the interior voice of conscience. But let's put it in this context, that in the pursuit of your goal, your desire, your hope, that which you find within, your very essence, that you follow this interior voice of conscience, the voice of the Spirit of God within, your conscience, that which tells you always what you need to do in order to accomplish or understand whatever it is you seek, That voice that instantly when it speaks, and if and when we hear its voice, almost like a gut reaction response, we combat it. That we fight against it, deny it, ignore it, argue against it, and tell it every reason why we can't do this or that, along with the laundry list of reasons why not. But when you do follow it, as I said, when you no longer battle against yourself, but listen to yourself, where you have been able to identify yourself, your actual and true self within your mind, as separate and apart from the zillions of other voices in your mind, and then again, actually listen to it and know what it's saying to you, and then further, actually do and implement what its gentle urgings urge you towards, and there is no longer any division within you, and as spoken in the Gospel of Thomas, that which is inside is that which is outside, meaning that which your mind and heart and soul direct you towards is that to which you move towards. And when you are following your mind, heart, and soul, Are you not in that mysterious state of grace that the church teaches and attempts to preserve within each and every member of the church, so long as you attend and allow it? And if there is a state of being that is the equivalent of perfection, would it not be what the church calls the state of grace? What I'm saying is just the deeper sense of that state of grace, the how internally beyond that which is done externally by the function of the priest and the church. Anybody can be in the state of grace through reconciliation, through receiving the many blessings of forgiveness by the priest during Mass, 
But what I always found was that during Mass, during the benedictions, during the receiving of Holy Eucharist, that it was during these times, as long as I was listening, that that inner voice of conscience, that voice of God, was most active. And if, when I immediately left Mass and began thinking about other things, the voice would lessen. But oh, how the world shudders when the person finally, even after decades, week after week, when that person finally pays heed to that interior voice, that shepherd's voice calling the one sheep out of the ninety-nine back to the flock, when one finally responds as Isaiah in the Bible, Here I am, Lord. For on that day, you have heard the Master's call. And even if it takes another forty years, like the Israelites wandering through the desert, to listen to that interior voice perfectly, the Lord will not stop refining you in the fires of the Spirit until you give up your will for God's will and find that God's will was and is your most perfect and sought-after will during the long days and nights of wanting, seeking, and hoping for something better, something greater, that you were and are more than what you may think or see or feel that you are right here and right now. Or it can happen in an instant. I've had both. The instantaneous experience along with the long march through the desert of the soul. I don't know what it will be for any other individual, and I'm only speaking this due to a pretty heated conversation with my wife who was questioning how such a search is possible given the circumstances of life. And though I don't think we agreed on this being possible for someone stretched thin like herself, a homeschooler, and a physician assistant, but the idea of what I'd spoken regarding the search for the true self as also being the search for God resonated with her and she was instantly trying to find ways to carve out more time for herself. So maybe the seeds found good soil in her mind, heart, and soul. And I will leave you with that, dear listener. When next we meet, should you still desire to see how deep the rabbit hole goes, I will start the next series or season of podcasts with my descent into the underworld, into hell, into judgment, into seeing the dead, and the everlasting mercy of God should one repent, and the awakening that occurred with this experience, knowing that God was real, not in some imaginary tomorrow, last judgment day scenario, but right here, right now. Until next time. Thank you for listening. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. I have close to a thousand pictures at logosofexperienceandtruth.com under the vision section that show what is perceived by the human mind during a mystical experience. Every culture across the entirety of time has depicted the experience with the same foundational pattern, including science in modernity. Click the link in the episode description or search for logosofexperienceandtruth.com so you can see for yourself and confirm or refute my claims. Please share this podcast with those that are like-minded and click a like on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you again. <laughs>